Hi everyone, Casey here. Just before we begin today, um, we just wanted to add in an extra intro which in which we dedicate this week's podcast to the memory of Chrissy Amphlett from the Divinals who passed away on April 22nd, 2013. We recorded the episode you're about to listen to a few weeks ago on um, March 27th in which we talk about the Divinals number one single, I Touch Myself. Um, and we're all very saddened today to hear about her passing. Our condolences to her friends and family from the 90 Seconds team. Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, podcast number five, as we count down the number one singles in Australia in the 1990s. I'm Danny Yao, and with me, as usual, is Tim Coyle. Hi. Hi. Casey Atkins. Hey, hey. And down down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Ahoy, hoy. Ahoy, hoy to you too. Uh, This week, we're going to head into 1991. We touched on it a couple of weeks ago when we got there with Vanilla Ice, but we have five new songs from 1991 to talk about tonight. You can't genuinely start with Vanilla Ice. (laughs) (laughs) You can only stop with Vanilla Ice and collaborate and listen. Indeed. (laughs) But this is not stopping for hammer time. That was so 1990. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, it's weird. So today we're going to cover five more songs from 1991 that span the number ones for about two months. And the first song we're going to hear Number one for two weeks on 2nd of February 1991. It is Divinals with I Touch Myself. this song mean for you? (laughs) What Um, does this song remind you of? (laughs) (laughs) This song reminds me of being really, really confused at the age of 10. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I obviously knew what was going on at the time. There's not a lot left to the imagination and even as a 10-year-old, you're kind of starting to to get the idea of what's going on there. Um, I remember a song that a lot of people kind of giggled about, really. It was a song that was, um, there was a lot of snickering going on. Um, I even remember at the tender age of 10, friends of mine being, uh, actually kind of like repulsed by it in some kind of strangely moral way, which I, you know, seems quite bizarre. Um, we did go to Catholics. We did go to Catholics. <laughs> very true. So in terms of what I think about it or remember of it from the time, pretty, pretty much that, I don't know whether I liked it particularly much. I think it was just a little bit too sort of shrouded in its controversy for uh for the time but um i tell you what since then i think it's great i really really like it i i can't remember when it really clicked with me what a great song it was it was probably you know five or six years later that it kind of occurred to me what how much was going on in terms of the sound of it the the band sounds unreal it's some great playing the guitar playing is is really really good it's nicely put together she performed 
the the vocal performance is great um and you know some nice riffs going on and i i, I just genuinely love the song now and the lyrics are a, apart from the fact that they're obviously you know really risque and and quite explicit i think they're it's actually pretty clever, fairly cleverly written lyrically. So that's me on this one. Tim Byron, what about you? Yeah, for um, for me, I think my reaction was a bit like Casey's in, in terms of I remember at the time being just sort of feeling uncomfortable with the song. It was sort of like the kind of thing that like I felt like maybe if I listened to it, I'd get girl germs <laughs> because, you know, I, I was nine. Uh, and so... Yeah, as as a song, it, it's it's an odd song. It's got a really weird structure to it. Like you listen to it, and there's like the verse, and then the chorus, and then there's this weird other bit. Then there's a verse and chorus, and there's a second different weird other bit, and then like you know she starts going ooh ooh and that <laughs> kind of thing. It's it's a really weird song, like structure wise. And so I think what kind of the I get the feeling that the songwriters of the song that, that they'd figured out that you know the verse and the chorus are so good, we can just fuck with the rest of it. <laughs> well. But I'll leave all the puns alone there. <laughs> Coyle, what about you? Well, the, I, I can't actually remember the song from 1991. I, I would go as far as to say I probably didn't even hear this until 1993, and I remember quite distinctly that they would not show the film clip on Rage oh, in really? the morning, which was usually where I listened to new music. So, yeah, oh. I, I can't remember being exposed to it till till. A bit later, and uh, I think I was maybe a bit more sheltered than others here. I, I didn't necessarily know what was going on. So I touched myself and kind of prodding myself in the elbow. What's going on there? And, and then, it's, then it's just kind of, oh, a gynecological reference. Um, the, the thing about Rage, you were saying how they don't show the film clip. Was that when they showed, like, yeah, the weird bit of like yeah. Iggy Pop, and they just have the name kind of the, of song. the montage, and it rolls. Yeah, the splash. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. And you'd be like, why didn't they show exactly. the song? Exactly, it just created more mystique about it. But <laughs> it yeah, did. I, I, I cannot remember hearing that song until I was a little bit older. And yeah, like um, just just on that topic of um, rage, like one of the things I was thinking about with this song was uh, that I do remember seeing that splash screen, and I so I think when this was number one was about when I started watching Rage. Uh, I went and looked at, like, the top 50 from that week. And, and uh, there were, like, weird songs like that were, like, at number 30 that I remembered seeing the video for. Like, I, in my head, I very clearly remember seeing two ACDC videos in a row, like Money Talks and Thunderstruck were the ones. And, and so, like, this is when I started paying attention to music. And so it, it was confusing to me that this song was at number one. And then, but where was the video? Why didn't they play the video? And so I had that kind of same reaction to um, to Tim as well. In terms of, like, I don't think I'd really thought about, like, what I touch myself means. I just kind of knew that it was controversial and kind of sexual somehow. I definitely uh, don't remember knowing what this song was about. I heard it. I heard it everywhere. I liked it. It was a song. It was pop. It was whatever. Um, I guess, yeah, I had a a sense that something was going on that was naughty. But, yeah, I was... I guess maybe for all of us, we were just a little bit too young to really take it seriously. If someone came up with this song now as music fans of our age, or even when we were 25, it would have, I don't know, it would have been something very different, right? We would have reacted to that song quite differently. Yeah, I I bet songs like this or songs that kind of talk about these things are a dime a dozen these days, I'd say. To be fair, it seems quite tame by today's standards. Basically, it's a sweet song. Like, she doesn't want to think about anyone else. Yeah, it's 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 just him. 
you know, it's a sweet little uh, love song. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's not uh, there's nothing that outrageous going on other than female masturbation, which is confronting for <laughs> for some folks um, and quite normal for for the rest of us. But by today's standards, it's quite tame. And also, if if a man was singing this, I don't think there would be. Half the fuss kicked up about it. Oh, ab- absolutely. It's not. You have stuff like turning Japanese from like the early eighties that was basically the same. That's not as explicit though. That's and not saying it straight up in yeah. as many words. And know? even yeah. even then, it's kind of male masturbation is a cause for out and out hilarity, whereas yeah. female masturbation seems to be something a bit more confronting for people. It's just it's a pure love song, and and it, there's just a raw honesty to it that they're kind of this sounds like on the surface that there may be something a little bit more um sinister or dodgy to it but when you actually listen to it it's just mm. you know it's I, just I really think nice in a really. way yeah in a way it's been built up to be something other than what it is because i wouldn't have listened to this in a long long time before this week and when i listened to it i was expecting something a bit more rockin and a bit dirtier but it's it's very well put together mm. um it, I, i'll take a little bit of a different stance from Casey here. I think there's a great song in there. I'm not sure that this performance is it. I think it's very, very good, but I think there was maybe something a little more punchy and and rock and roll to come out of that song, but I don't think that's there in this version. How do we feel about the Divinals in general? Has that been a band that has, well, touched anyone here? Like, it's... <laughs> I know for me personally, yeah, I don't actually know that much about them. I know the singles. And, you know, if they come on telly or something like that, I'm kind of like, yeah, Missy Antler, whatever. Like, check it out. If they're on, you know, Denton or Rockwiz or something. But they're not really a band that's really been that important to me. Yeah, I think they're just kind of a band that are before our time. Like, they're, they're two big songs in Australia apart from I Touch Myself, uh, Pleasure and Pain and Science Fiction, right? And they're like... No, well. 83, 84 or so. So it's like, you know, we were so young, we weren't around. And so they're just songs that are just kind of part of the ether rather than things we have feelings about because we were there at the time. There, there are a couple of songs by them that I love, but I noticed that there was even talk of doing a Divinals tribute album for a while. And I kind of was thinking that, well, I don't know that much about but the, them. But this is the thing, it's kind of odd that there hasn't been, in a way, that there's a whole revival industry around bands from this era who were, the Divinals were at least as successful as, but they've never really had that push behind them. Oh, I feel like they did a couple of years ago, didn't they? And they when they played, didn't they play at the Arias, that awful Arias show in the front of the Opera House? They, oh, really? They play, yeah, they played at that. I thought there was a little bit of a... Um, the, the, I mean, that's a hospital forward, pass, if ever there was. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there were a couple of instances, like she... Um, I remember one year, one of the years that I got into Australian Idol, she was a guest judge and one of the... Yeah, that's the, you see her on telly. Yeah, and one of the um, contestants... Played, oh, I can't remember the song. What was that song that, um, I must have been desperate, I must have been pretty long. Oh. that one? Desperate? Is it Desperate? Okay. Yeah. There's an album called Desperate. Okay. Uh, one of the contestants played that, and, and Chris uh, Hanfoot Chris was a, a judge. It was, yeah, from time to time they kind of show up. But, yeah, Danny, I can't see him filling a tribute album of, you know. Mm. 
12 or 15 tracks or... I really love um, the song that's on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> which they did, which I don't know if you know Tim Byron, but which is... Um, I ain't gonna eat out my heart anymore. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah, a yeah. Great that's a cover song. Yeah, it's a cover, but it's their version of it is fantastic. I remember learning that guitar riff. Um, and then they did a cover. Of, well, I think it's. I have this thing where I used to confuse the Pretenders and the Divinals. Fair enough. Yeah, I was yeah, going to bring right. that up. Chrissy Hine and Chrissy Anthony. But yeah, well, and also stylistically, they're so yeah. very similar. And then yeah. they did. Um, they both did the song "Human on the Inside." I'm only human on the inside, and. Yeah, and it's just like, they both did a version of it. It's just like, oh, this is too hard for my little brain. So, <laughs> Yeah, I confused those two together for years. And, um, and, and I mean, like, one of the interesting comparisons with those two was that the same sort of professional songwriters who co-wrote uh, this song, who co-wrote I Touch Myself, also co-wrote um, I'll Stand By You, the Pretenders song. <laughs> right. There you go. So there you go. So much <laughs> in common between those two bands. Almost franchises of each other. Yeah. <laughs> so... I mean, I guess the sort of difference between the two, like uh, when you listen to their voices, uh, Chrissy Amphlett has like one of those sort of coquettish kind of voices. Like she's got a Buddy Holly kind of hiccupy kind of thing in, in her voice. Mm. Mm. Whereas um, Chrissy Hind is sort of more deeper voice. Like she's just, she's trying to sort of project kind of authority in a way that Chrissy Hind isn't quite. Oh, Chrissy Amphlett isn't quite, sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still confusing them now. Ah! <laughs> The next number one song on our list. This song was number one for, well, I think, an incredible four weeks. It is um, from 16th of February, 1991. It is London Beat with I've Been Thinking About You. I said, I've been thinking about you. <laughs> exactly how when I look at that phrase, I read that phrase, is how I pronounce it. Tim Cole, how about we start with you? Uh, well, I was a little confused listening to this song this week because I, I remembered it from being a kid, but it, in a very passing way. It, uh, it didn't affect me then, and it didn't really affect me now. It's it's an odd one. I find it a little bizarre that this got to number one, and yeah, I I was a little confounded by this one. Tim Byron, what about you? Um, I kind of agree with Tim and kind of don't. Um, in terms of, I'm totally unsurprised that this got to number one. 
Uh, the reason why, why I got to number one is that it's incredibly repetitive and um, it's a very cleverly constructed song for getting the, the chorus stuck in your head. Like they repeat that line, I've been thinking about you, the, the title in the chorus, 24 times in the song. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, that's um, yeah, 25 the too few. <laughs> so, so, sorry, if it, yeah, just picture Tim Byron with a notepad. Yeah. Uh, drawing <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, um, and yeah, so, so it's, it's very, I, I listen to it and I can hear the clever kind of pop construction that gets a song stuck in people's heads and so it gets them buying it. But I think it, it is, um, it's the kind of song that gets to number one, not because it's anyone's favourite song, but because nobody hates it. Like, you know, Tim Coyle is just sitting there going, yeah, I don't get it. But, like, it wasn't like a song that is, like, nails down the chalkboard. It's the kind of song that, that gets on the radio because radio station programmers, they want mu- music, not that people like, but they want music that people don't hate because they want music that stops people from changing the dial so that when um, they don't change the dial, then you'll hear the ads and you know, what they get paid for um, is going to, you know, get into people's brains. And so it's the kind of song that would just be would at the time would have been ubiquitous on radio because uh, yeah it just you know, did the job right it just did the job no one hated it and so it was just ubiquitous it was super catchy so it was ubiquitous you heard it a lot it had a, you know, a lot of repeats in the song so it got stuck in people's heads and so then they're like ah damn it this song is stuck in my head I'm gonna have to buy the single so I can get rid of it and I think that's how this that worked I think that's how <laughs> this song got to number one but that's the thing I, I don't know if I agree with that because. A lot of songs do that, but reaching number one is more than that, I think. Like, to get there, it has to be, like, every radio station's playing new, and it's, like, maybe a priority for the record company, so they've got enough copies out there to support it. They're not taking a risk. Like, so I get what you're saying about it being successful because it's inoffensive, but this is a number one song, and Mm. it's just, I think... Just if I can talk about how I feel about this song, I actually hate it. (laughs) I think it's a terrible song. I I could live for the rest of my life and never hear this again, and my life would probably actually be richer for it. I feel like that for about a couple of songs this way. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, continue. uh, Yeah, it's just a terrible song. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't add anything to culture. My only real thought about this is that, yeah, I totally remember this song at the time, but I also remember several other similar songs, this sort of like smooth, kind of almost a little bit world music, kind of dancey, almost, would you call this New Jack Swing? No, it's it's not uh, New Jack Swing. What I think this is, is kind of like, it's like Fine Young Cannibals or Simply Red. Yeah, it's that yeah, kind of yeah. almost soul, but they're too yeah. white, even it's though they're actually not white, I think. Well, the other one was like, um, you say Show No Mercy and... Yeah, Mark, Mark Williams. Williams. And, and Sonia Dada and all that yeah. sort of stuff that was around at the time. And but, but this was a bit more club music yeah. Yeah. In, in the beat and the bass that are going on. I mean, it's a, it's a little guitar-y, unfortunately, with no delures. I guess what it's, I'm trying to say is that I remember all those songs and I remember sort of not liking any of them and surprised that this song not only was n- number one, but number one for four weeks. Yeah, that's a, that's a long time, mm. isn't it? Casey, I, um, what about you? I, I feel the same as you, Daniel. You know, we have not agreed that much in this podcast. It's so. true. It's true, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but, I mean, the only thing that's different for me is I don't particularly remember it um, as a number one at the time. I guess I remember it from the time. I can't really imagine how much I must have heard it since then. Is, does it still get played? I guess it does still get played. On no, it. I don't think so. No. I don't know. So, well, it's in there somewhere. Maybe I did just kind of um, absorb it by osmosis at the time but um 
Yeah, just boring, repetitive, mechanical drivel. <laughs> and who knows anything about London Beat? Well, that that's the question I was going to bring up. Like, who the hell are London Beat and, and what have they done since? I like the fact that their name was London Beat. That's about it. Like, it just sounds it's exotic. Very Australian. Gen- well, yeah. it's also very generic in its, in its way. It's... <laughs> Oh, yeah, look, I mean, I just had a quick look at them on Wikipedia today, and it was just like, there was nothing about it. Two two lines. (laughs) That stood out for me. Like, it wasn't like someone in the band ended up being a member of Underworld or something like that, you know, or like, or ended up being a scientist on the BBC or anything like that. Or was dragged out of the the Thames for the cocaine straw. Yeah, just did nothing, and I can't. Imagine that they earned enough of this song to never work again. So they all went back to uh, working at Tesco. And you reckon they're going to be one day? One of them's going to end up in the lineup round on um, Nevermind the Bus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's totally already happened. <laughs> Somewhere on a building site in London, some guy is whistling. Yeah. I've been thinking about you. Thinking I sung that song, man, <laughs> and he got the number one in Australia. Yeah, exactly. He's still dining out on that song. Um, yeah, for me, I think it's a very, very forgettable song. Well, not like, maybe not literally, because it just gets in your head. You look at yeah. those words in that order, it's like, mm. <laughs> but just yeah, I don't know if anyone else has anything else to say about this song. Maybe in defence of it, uh, I, yeah, not so much in defence of it. I don't feel as strongly about it as as either Danny or Casey. I just it's like peanuts in a bag of mixed nuts it's like you don't really want to eat those they're just kind of there you kind of you want to pick the almonds and the cashews out. I'm peanuts <laughs> well, they're not cashews exactly <laughs> or almonds I mean like peanuts are just kind of bland as nuts go you know like they're good like if you want nuts peanuts are good but like if you've got the choice of peanuts or cashews you're going to go for cashews exactly it's just filling. yeah but this isn't even a peanut come on <laughs> this isn't a peanut this is, uh, this is, uh, this is one of a metaphor is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say it was another kind of nut altogether. Um, well, before we move on, I just want to make one more point about this song. And that point is I really hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from that and going to a song that again, surprised me by the length of how long it was at number one. This song was only number one for one week on the 16th of March, 1991. And this was Do the Bart Man by The Simpsons. Simpsons, but 
Is it just Homer's it's in just it? Bart Simpson. Oh no, Homer is it? Homer is yeah, 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 of course he yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of. Well, and Lisa's on saxophone. <laughs> Homer's in it as much as Macaulay Culkin is on Black and White. Uh, which I, we'll, yeah, we're we'll getting into that. <laughs> <laughs> but well, okay, Tim Byron, we haven't started with you yet. How do you feel about this song? I, I don't know what the rest of your parents were like, but my parents like had this sort of real thing against The Simpsons, my mum in particular. She didn't like the idea of us watching it because, you know, Bart was going to be a bad influence. And so we never watched it in our house. Like, it's certainly not in 1991. Like, eventually my brother got a t- my little brother got a TV in, like, 93, 94 or so, and we started watching it then. So, like, but, um, so I missed the prime years of The Simpsons or some of them while they were on at the time. And so, like, for me, Do the Bart Man was, like, an illicit pleasure because, um, I think I remember seeing it on video hits. I don't think that Rage played it because I think they thought it was sort of a bit too promotional. I think I maybe remember Rage having the splash screen with Iggy Pop on it when this was at number one. Maybe. No, that's true. Yeah. Really? really? Yeah, it is. Yeah. No, they, would, they wouldn't play this. Mm, yeah, I okay. think maybe they didn't want to promote the Channel 10 show. I think like ABC had like stricter rules about uh, ads and things like that at that point. So maybe it was, it was like that. But yeah, so for me, like when I saw it, when I heard it, it was like an illicit pleasure. It's like, yes, I'm getting a bit of The Simpsons and my parents don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was your rebellion then? That was yeah. your Sex Pistols? Yeah, yeah that, was, that was my <laughs> Sex Pistols. The other thing with this song is that I, I don't know um, how, ma- how many of you know about this, but do you know who co-wrote it? No. No. Michael Jackson. Well, Dude. is that an urban myth? No. That, Matt, Matt Groening's confirmed like it. Right, because... Has Michael Jackson confirmed it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll take quite yeah. an effort now. <laughs> well, that I remember that. That was the rumour in the schoolyard, because it came shortly after Michael Jackson appeared in The Simpsons. I don't know, it's just one of those things where I didn't know whether to believe it or not, but that, although this podcast has already made me understand that Vanilla Ice did have a fight with Suge Knight and was hung <laughs> out the window, so hey, I'm learning things. Yeah, no, it, it was Michael Jackson because he was just such a huge Simpsons fan. And, and so, um, yeah, he, he just wanted to contribute to it. And so he wasn't credited on it, um, but he, he wanted to contribute on it. And so you, you listen to this song and, like, the, the backing music is quite a lot like um, the way you, you made me feel. It, it's got that same kind of, like, just a new Jack swing beat to it. And, like, the backing vocals, like, in the kind of in the chorus, like, they're really tightly stacked in a kind of jazzy kind of way. And that's such a Michael Jackson-y kind of thing to do. How do you feel about the song? Just in the context of being a song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> as a song in the context of being a song, like as I listen to it now, it doesn't have what's great about The Simpsons in the song. It's like a song that's like, it's doing that kind of Bart is Dennis the Menace kind of thing, but it doesn't have mm. like the kind of clever pop culture references apart from the one bit uh, where like Bart's like, you can't touch this and then he touches it and then he does the, I didn't do it, nobody saw me do it kind of thing. But like that bit's funny, and that bit's good, and that's kind of got the Simpsons humour about it. But the rest of it, like, it sounds like Michael Jackson trying to do the Simpsons. Mm. Yeah, it's it's not even in character, I think, is kind yeah. of the, the weird thing about it. Tim Cole, what about you then? Uh, <laughs> 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 well, uh, um, look, th- th- this song was huge at the time. I remember it. Everyone loved this. Uh, everyone was getting deeply into The Simpsons, and a little similar to Tim Byron, my parents were concerned about me watching it, uh, and we could only watch it 
supervised for a few times before, yeah, my dad was laughing quite a lot at it. And uh, this isn't nearly as bad as George Bush is saying it is kind of thing. Go nuts, kids, uh, was was kind of their approach to it. And yeah, this, this song was huge at the time. And um, I, I really, really loved it then. And listening to it this week, it was, well, one, it just goes on forever. Mm. Um, yeah, it's like a minute before he actually starts rapping. It's like a minute of just like sort of beats and stuff, and then yeah, uh, and it's just as as we were saying, it's just it's not done in character. It's not well written. Nancy Cartwright does pretty well actually to to, to give her due with this, but otherwise it's just, it's just a colossal big mess. We were talking about Michael Jackson. It references Michael Jackson, and it's weird because. Michael Jackson is now a punchline, and at the time, referencing Michael Jackson, and it happens again in another song this week, it's kind of, that showed cachet and and cool, but um, that's really hard to think of these days, and yeah, I kind of, I, I felt a little embarrassed listening to this song on my headphones on the bus this week, even though no one could hear it. <laughs> well, Casey, what about you? Yeah, there, there have been a couple of songs... Um, that we've listened to through the course of this that I'm worried when the when the screen flashes up on my, <laughs> on my iPhone and that anybody else on the train will see what I'm listening to. <laughs> um, yeah, in, embarrassed is, is the word um, in terms of how I feel about it now. It's just dreadful, isn't it? Like, I, I don't... Look, I, of course I loved it at the time. I was an 11-year-old kid. Um, but what Tim Byron said before, which... Um, I really agree with is that it just doesn't have it, it's got the the Simpsons that appeals to you know the eight to eleven year old kids, um, but it doesn't have the Simpsons that appeals to their parents at exactly the same time, and that's been the whole um, joy of the Simpsons for, for for this long for the whatever twenty years that we've all been watching it, and um, this has none of the that that other level, and it's just it's just. It's dreadful, and it's just really um, shameless as well. And I think, given that one of the other songs that we'll um, that we'll talk about tonight, and where when we started a couple of weeks ago with um, when you can't touch this started, and that just like opened this flood these floodgates of everybody having to do rap songs, and there's just these this bunch of rap songs that just started to become number one every every few songs, and this is The Simpsons just going. Hey, rap songs are popular now. <laughs> Let's do that. Well, uh, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think the thing with this song is that basically it's merch. Like the Simpsons had so much merch at this kind of point. It was just huge. There were Simpsons t-shirts, Simpsons mugs, Simpsons underwear, Simpsons this, Simpsons that, and it was just another bit of merch for them. They didn't give a shit. It was just merch. Yeah. I really like this song. <laughs> now? Yeah. It, it's one of those things that's still on my iPod, and I listen to it, and I go, "It's fun. It's as good as." Time for a change by the Brady Bunch theme from the monkeys. I, you know, it's just all. Just Do you reckon what? this is as good as the theme from the monkeys? Yeah, this is not as good monkeys, as the theme from but the monkeys. Come on. I'm sorry. But, it's, but, but it's as good as <laughs> five tracks as that on that first monkeys record. You know? No. Like, <laughs> this isn't even no, as good sorry. as the theme to the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. No, and I like that song too. Like, I think, I think that's the thing, right? They, they were fun. Um, it, is, it is a TV tie in. But I watched The Simpsons. You know, I had no parental guidance whatsoever. I watched The Simpsons from the start, and I actually own a copy of The Simpsons Sing the Blues, which this song is on. 
and it's on my iPod still to this day. Is, uh, is Deep Deep Trouble also on that album? <laughs> uh, yes. No. Is it? Yes. It was I the just... follow-up single, so maybe it couldn't. Maybe it's the kind of thing that wasn't on the album, but then they figured, oh, that got to number one. We should release a follow-up. It's follow actually up. all covers and stuff like that. It's actually there's actually a Randy Newman song on there that Homer Simpson sings. Really? Uh, what does he do? I'd love to see you smile. Yeah, um, fair, fair enough. It's kind of weird, and I like it that it's kind of weird. I also own both Simpsons soundtracks, mm. which uh, which is Songs in the Key of Springfield and um, and those are amazing. And it's actually, yeah. if anything is a disappointment about this song, it's how good the music is on The Simpsons. Well, exa- exactly. And, and you know that I'm the... You know, one of the biggest Simpsons fans ever, and li- listening to this just makes me embarrassed to be so. <laughs> yeah, it's not the yeah, great thing about this. I think that's part of the the disappointment is that uh, uh, among the four of us, the Simpsons is just the touchstone of the nineties. I mm. think it's yeah. just it's towering. It's cultural influence is so pervasive and. This just doesn't do it justice in any way whatsoever. It feels like it's from another show. I know we could probably talk about The Simpsons all night, but I guess maybe as a way of filtering it down, can you think of a favourite Simpsons musical moment? Yes. Casey, why don't you start there? <laughs> oh, actually, I've just thought of two. <laughs> well, you can say two. This is, uh, so there's Who Needs the Quickie Mark? Which oh, is, yes. Yeah. He lied to us in song. Yes, I hate when people do that. <laughs> that, is, that is almost something I say almost every day yeah. like, about music. Um, so there's that one, and but probably to be trumped by the um, the song about the burlesque house. Because uh, they just like oh, this yes, place yes, existed. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that, that we just know this place existed. Yeah, that, just, I was going to pick that particular yeah. line as well. Yeah. Tim Byron, what about you? I just said I was going to pick that particular <laughs> line. We just found this place existed. <laughs> In that because, barbershop quartet. Also, Be My Vest. Be My Vest was going to be mine. Yeah. But, um, the, the burlesque house was, of course, Ken Keeler, who wrote a lot of the Simpsons music mm. and uh, obviously displayed himself to be a better songwriter than Michael Jackson as far as <laughs> Simpsons characters were concerned. Like, there's just such good mimics on that show, like Dr. Zayas is yeah. pretty amazing. Like, But if I had to choose one, it's I, uh, maybe because I did watch the show back in the day, Monorail. Of course. I, I, that could have been a single Ooh, and d- it would have charted the executive. Or another one, uh, the, the Booze Hound song from the Sherry Bobbins episode yeah. that I always loved. Well, I mean, uh, me and Casey, when we played in a band, we, we did a show where we covered Lonely Lumpkin. Yeah, Bunk With Me Tonight by Lonely Lumpkin. Of course. And it was just a of course you did. country music. <laughs> and like, it was just, and it, just, it was great because you do it, and the song goes for maybe 90 seconds. And for the first 40, people are like, oh, this is nice. And then they get it. Uh, what it is, and it's it's always a great cover. But yeah, it's my big disappointment with this song is just the rest of The Simpsons is so musical. Yeah, and yeah, and it's amazing that they haven't released more singles in the charts. I kind of feel like The Simpsons creators are probably as embarrassed about this song as everyone else. Yeah, the story that I have that's about this kind of stuff that's interesting is that a couple, of, like a year or two after this, um, they asked Prince to make an equivalent song. <laughs> So if you know the song um, My Name is Prince, do you guys remember that one? Yeah, yeah. My Name is Prince and I Am Funky. funky. Yeah. Indeed. That was originally My Name is Bart and I Am no. Funky. And there's a version of it with um, Nancy Cartwright doing like basically the equivalent vocals, like doing the My Name is Bart and I Am Funky. 
and no it is incredibly way. awful. Well, right. why don't we just find it online and we can link to it in the show notes on, show notes, on, the, yeah. on the blog. Yeah. True. Um, I'm just trying to think of other songs by Prince in the 90s that would have made really inappropriate Simpsons songs, like Cream. Cream. <laughs> <laughs> Sexy MF. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bat Bat dance. dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so many. So, yeah, wow. And who else? Like, so many great musical guest stars in The Simpsons be, you know... We're Smashing Pumpkins. We watch Chilly Willy. <laughs> <laughs> I love bands. Have the Rolling Stones shot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have the Rolling Stones <laughs> Well, even just Tom Jones being kidnapped. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, just a great show for music and a great show for all of us who love pop culture. Ooh, we, we better tie this up. Yeah, Paul, McCart- go Paul McCartney, no, let's not forget. Well, yeah, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Would you like to hear a song, Lisa? Well, <laughs> well, actually, early on, one of the early guest stars was Ringo Starr. I remember Marge, the painting of him. Oh, of course. Sort of so, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the bad painting of yours, truly. I'll hung it on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and George was in the B-Sharps episode. George was in the B-Sharps S- episode. Said the fat control. Yeah, wow. Is there any other show that's had three Beatles? Well, uh, the anthology. Two shows. But let's get to our fourth song of the night. This song was number one for two weeks. Again, I think an amazingly <laughs> overblown number for this song. This is uh, on the 23rd of March, 1991. This is Dimples D with Sucker DJ. You ready to kick some ass? Turn up the music. I was at a jam the other night. I was feeling real good, so the feeling was right. I came to the party for a different kind of action. The next thing I know, I was doing a Michael Jackson. I was thrown off beat, and my feet got tied. Baby, sucker DJ just bought to beat five. He was flipping and slipping, even try back to it. Sucker DJ didn't know what he was doing. Then I said to my friends, this ain't the place to be. feel about this song? <laughs> it was interesting listening to it because I hadn't heard it for a long time, um, but it really was quite familiar when I did hear it. And what struck me about it was that when I was, you know, I loved You Can't Touch This and I loved um, Buster Move and I really loved Ice Ice Baby. And I remember learning all of the words to Ice Ice Baby and a couple of friends just, just singing it in on a class and blah, blah, blah. This was the girls' chance. This was the one that the girls learned. right. Yeah. And I remember not particularly liking it at the time, probably because of that reason. There was a bit of a boys versus girls thing, but this was the girls' chance to get in on the whole hit rap song. Girls' germs then. Girls, yes, yes, definitely. So anyone who sang this song definitely had girls' germs. Very important in that age. Indeed. Um, so that was kind of my memory of it from the time. I didn't mind it when I listened to it this week. I, um, for what it is and the way it's put together, it's reasonably nicely done. It's pretty slick production-wise. The rapping's not bad. It's not embarrassing. It's better than Do the Bart, man. <laughs> um, and, 
and I think it's it's, it's a fairly decently done thing. I don't really see it as a number one hit. Like it, when you put something like this up against you, you know, the love shacks of the world, I don't really get it. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's that's me. Tim Coyle, what about you? Uh yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't. I, I don't remember this song that well from from 1991. Um, and I heard it this week, but I have no specific memory of of hearing it. But um, yeah, for me, it was just every rap cliche rolled up into of the time rolled up into one song. And kind of what Casey was talking about with Do the Bartman, it's 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 almost a production line rap song at, at the time because this was huge. There was an appetite for rap music at the time that was almost insatiable. And mm. obviously this song getting the number one is a testament to that. People just gobbled this stuff up. Yeah. And to me, this is it was a bit lazy. I, I actually like the I Dream of Genie sample uh but beyond that it's uh it's a bit of a mess for me uh the the wrapping's okay but it's not great and um circumstances meant i was watching this on youtube rather than on the playlist that we make each week and the video is awkward she's like a rabbit in headlights in front of that camera it's um, it's a terrible thing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really it. awkward, and that perhaps played into my response to it a, a little bit. That there's something a little amateurish about this song. Uh, just before we get to Tim Byron, I guess Tim Coyle, you brought it up that this song won't be included on the playlist on the website. Well, it, it wasn't on audio or Spotify. And I'm going to have something very interesting to say about that when it comes to me. But before we do that, Tim Byron, why don't you tell us how you feel about this song? So, so yeah, with Sucker DJ, I like it. I do remember it from the time, and I remember knowing that it was a sample of I Dream of Genie and going, oh, cool, that's a cool sample. Because I think, like, I, I think it's the first song that had a sample that I knew, that I knew, oh, that's a sample. Like, because I don't think I really knew that about, like, MC Hammer or Vanilla Ice. But this was one yeah. I saw, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's a sample. They're using this song in a different way. And, and that was kind of a, I think maybe it was the first time I'd heard something like that, I think. So that, that was an interesting thing about it to me. Um, and now I listen to it and I can hear all the rap kind of things that are going on in it. Like there's, you know, there's things like you can hear the, um, the sample that comes in about halfway through the song. That's like, you know, that's one of those sort of classic rap samples. You can hear like the, with the sort of high, with the sort of bride symbol kind of thing that, yeah. that it does. So, so yeah, I, I kind of like it. I think it's a good example of what it was. The interesting thing to me about this song is that it's originally from 1983. Yes, and then they put the Dry Dream of Genie thing on it. Yeah, so the, I, it's like a remix of like a 1990 remix of a song from 1983. And it was, um, it was originally a, an answer song. Cause one of the very first songs by Run DMC was called Sucker MCs. So this is actually an a- answer song saying, who cares about MCs? Because they just talk over the top. It's the DJs that do it. And the DJs have to be the one who keep the beat going and keep the music sounding interesting. And so the, yeah, it's that kind of answer song kind of thing. And so I think part of the reason why there's this girl singing over the top of it is because he, he's sort of saying, I can get a girl to sing over the top of it and it's still going to be an awesome song. So basically this is like Eamon and Frankie all over again. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Do you not know? Uh, well, you of all people probably don't know, which is, um, God, what, five years ago? An artist named uh, Eamon. It's more like 10 years ago now, I think. It's 10 like years like ago? 2004, 2005, I think. What was the song? It was Fuck It, Don't Want You Back. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, And then yeah, the girl yeah, yeah. wrote, 
fuck you right back. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It was pretty hilarious. I do. It's good that. to see people air their grievances in the charts. <laughs> um, for me, I feel like this is a terrible song. It is probably <laughs> the my least favorite song of the week. It's just nothing going on there. It's that sample. And that's it. And that sample... If it was instrumental, I would feel exactly the same way. <laughs> and, yeah, there's just really nothing here. And I think the other thing about it for me is that I didn't even remember it that well. kind of remembered bits and pieces. listened to it and went, oh, yes, it's this one. But it's so forgettable for me. And not in a catchy way. I couldn't, like... Yeah, it just did nothing for me. And, um, I don't know anything else about Dipple's D. But what I did want to say about it not being on Spotify is... This sort of, I guess, urban myth around in the industry right now, which is basically talking about how samples work and how expensive they are now. Like when in the late 80s, mid 80s to maybe even up to here, people didn't know how much to charge for samples. And, you know, the thing is, people say stuff like Paul's Boutique could not be made today because they would lose money off every track because now there's a standard price for a sample. And this song... I wonder if it's a victim of it because the sample is so prominent yeah. and it's owned by a big television company that they could just go, fine, we gave you the CD rights, but it's going to cost you like, you know, X amount of money to license it for iTunes. And, and it's a bunch and of stuff. Spotify. There's a bunch of stuff like that on Spotify, like where if you listen to Return of the Mac on Spotify, you only get like the a cappella version because the sample on it is obviously not being cleared these days. And it's the same with um, California Love by Tupac. Like, it's a different backing back. It doesn't have the do 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 Which is originally from a Joe Cocker song, because obviously they couldn't get the sample to license it for Spotify. And that's the thing. Like, it's there are some songs that basically we say that could not afford to be made today. It's like going just, to the moon. Yeah. How people say we could never go back to the moon just now. Beca- just becomes so complicated. Mm. So going to the moon and recreating Sucker DJ and saying... <laughs> Saying things that are too far away for us in humanity. Uh, Unless you're girl talking, you just ignore those laws altogether. Yes, so, which so, is great yeah. D- Dipples D, Neil Armstrong, too busy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm guessing we can go around and just challenge who has the more recordings by Dipples D out of all of us. Uh, I think we've all got the exact <laughs> same number of recordings by Dipples D in our do, collection. Do we know anything else about her? Her real first name was Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, just in the Which brings us to our last song of the night. And this song was number one for just one week on the 6th of April, 1991. This is Julie, Cru- Julie Cruz with Falling.
Tim Byron, why don't you go first with this one? Julie Cruz has fallen. How do you feel about it? Well, yeah, at the time, I hated this. I did not understand why this really boring, slow song got to number one. It was just like, why is this there? Um, I, at the age of nine, I knew nothing about Twin Peaks. I knew it was a TV show that was on late at night. I guess that there was lots of hype about. Um, but, you know, there's nothing in the video clip for this song when it was on Rage that would give you any indication whatsoever that Twin Peaks was not just another sappy American sitcom about people from the country. And, and so oh, what, basically... Like Northern Exposure or something. <laughs> yeah. And so basically... Um, so not sitcom, you know, one of those sort of sappy, like, love like lovey kind of dramas. Kind of melodrama so kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, it's got that element to it, but it's got also a bunch of weird stuff. So, yeah, so I had no idea <laughs> about what this was at the time. I didn't get it. I hated it. Um, now I um, I can see what, what's happening with it, but I, I don't love it. I kind of feel it kind of works better as an instrumental that goes for about 30 seconds or an, a minute or whatever it is on, on the opening titles for Twin Peaks. Casey Atkins, what about you? I um I set myself a rule when we started this podcast that I um had to listen to every song all the way through at least once, and I've got to tell you this one was harder than wet wet wet. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I same as you, Tim. I didn't really understand what was going on there. I had it on a compilation CD. I remember that was on it, that compilation. May have had I touched myself on it as well. I had. You know, a few other songs that we'll probably talk about, um, as well as I Want to Sex You Up by Color Me Bad <laughs> was on that one as well. And this was one of those songs that I was like, what's this doing here amongst all of these great hit songs that I love from the, the radio or rage? And um, I never got into Twin Peaks. It was one of those things that, that, that passed me by. I know that I probably should have or, or maybe still should. Um, yep. But I it never... Yes, I should. <laughs> yes. Um, right. But at, at the time or, or even after the time, it was never something I went back to, so I don't get it on that level either. And really, falling asleep is... is, 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 is <laughs> great. That's a perfect review. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. That is, that is my like, review. Um, uh, it's like I read a review for This Is 40, the Judd Apatow film, which is just This Is 40 Minutes Too Long. <laughs> great. It's just when you get it, you get it, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm deliberately going to leave Tim Cole to last for this one and just say a few words about this, because mainly because I don't really have much to add that Casey and Tim Byron haven't said, which is I kind of remember the song. It was kind of a bit boring for me at the time. I don't really have a deep relationship with Tim Twin Peaks. I did actually finally watch every episode in the last year, and in the era of binge viewing, mm. where this song just gets annoying. <laughs> As every theme song gets annoying, because you know you look at modern TV shows now, like Lost or whatever, where the theme songs are very short because a they want to fit more shows in, and b I think they know that people watch thirteen episodes over three days. Um, but yeah, it's not really a song that's really meant that much to me over the years, and not something I go to. But I do know someone who likes Twin Peaks, <laughs> and that's Tim Coyle. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, like I think everyone here, I detested this song. Uh, when it first came out and when I said in the first podcast that songs were like football teams, this was like boo hiss. I can't believe <laughs> like manly. This got, yeah, this is this is this was the arsenal of 
fucking <laughs> songs, man. I could not stand this. And anyone who bought it was just, I, I don't know. <laughs> but surely you didn't, be on the pile. surely you didn't know anyone who went and bought this. No, place. I didn't. And I think that was the odd thing insofar as Twin Peaks wasn't actually huge in Australia at the time. It was very much a cult thing. And this is the odd thing. This song sold in such a volume that people were buying this song for this song and playing it at dinner parties and such. And that's probably the weird bit uh, for me uh, about this song getting to number one. Anyway, fast forward uh, a fair bit. Um, Obviously, growing up in Tamworth, Twin Peaks is not something I was exposed to. I don't think it was even shown on a network we had access to at the time. So I didn't see it till I was at university. And... Uh, I remember a, a story that Peter Buck from REM told of his his favourite book was On the Road by Jack Kerouac, and he made a point of reading it every single year. And, yeah, I watched Twin Peaks every single year. How, how um, much Twin Peaks is there? There are... Two seasons. Yeah, two seasons. The second season is cut into two. Um, so it's it's not it's not long. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I make a point of watching it every year. It's... One of my favourite things. I think it's the most important television program ever. Everything that is good in television that we know now stems from this. Without Twin Peaks, there is no Sopranos. Without Twin Twin Peaks, there is no there is nothing on HBO such as Oz or Six Feet Under that themselves became influential. There is no Buffy. Um, How do you feel about certainly the show? no Xbox? Yeah, I'm, ge- I'm, no, 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 no. I'm getting into the that. show. Yeah. When you rewatch it every year, mm. do you skip the theme song? I don't actually, okay. because it's it's quite an atmospheric and evocative thing. But for me, the song has become so much a part of the show that my my attitude towards it is is bound up in that. I can't separate it from from the show, and in it plays a pretty pivotal role in the show. Yes, it's the theme song, but also it's the theme for uh, any tender moment between the characters, particularly particularly the younger characters. And in a show such as Twin Peaks, which puts a lot of those feelings in tension with a lot of nastier things, uh, it's pretty significant because um, even though I guess it's pitched as a romantic song, I think the way David Lynch and Angelo... uh, Badalamenti, uh, or Badalamenti, uh, wrote it. It's it's almost mournful in how it approaches those feelings of tenderness and and romance. Um, and David Lynch loves his talk songs, loves his old fashioned doo wop songs, and there's a big influence with of, of that within the songs they wrote for Julie Cruz. And they're twisted in such a way that there's there's kind of a mourning for that loss of innocence, and that's a big part of Twin Peaks, um, because one of the major themes is the betrayal of children by the people who are meant to protect them in the adults in their lives. I definitely agree with you that it is works wonders in the TV show as a score, mm. and it's almost like, but maybe that was what set me apart from it, because it would be like hearing the theme from Chariots of Fire as a number one pop song on Rage and stuff, mm. and it just... So, so I think that, that actually got was. into the charts, that song, by the way. The- which, is why, <laughs> which is why I used that example, because yeah. it is so weird, yeah. So, was that how it worked? Were there a number of songs in a similar vein that sort of scored the it, show? It was. Battle wrote it that it had a certain thematic consistency. Now, at, at 
there were there were kind of two sides to what he was doing. There were the Julie Cruz songs, which were quite icy and synth laden and atmospheric, and then there was the the jazzy stuff. Um, and somehow the tension of them working together, and I think a lot of the menace and sinisterness that he was able to convey through that tension was really good. And this look, this song just set the tone for the show. It crops up in different different guises throughout, and yeah, I just can't separate it from that. I love it. I even think the the cruise version with those icy vocals and just the the lyrics being as straightforward as they are, it works for me because, as I said, it just fits into this larger theme of the show. Do you ever find yourself listening to the song outside the context of the show? No. <laughs> I do think, like, I'm watching a movie and sometimes the score is so good and I'm like, you know, that's freaking awesome. Or, like, especially the ones that we all know, be it Star Wars or... Uh, good, the bad, the ugly, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And you go, oh, you know, I should just get the CD of that. Because I'm a music fan, and, and I just never find myself listening to it. A score soundtrack. So, what are the... I, this is kind of a question for everybody, um, and it's kind of loaded because of something that I purchased last night, strangely enough. But what are some of the songs, outside of scores, songs that you've heard as a, a, a theme song on a TV show and just grown to love and maybe looked into that artist because of it or, or something like that. Right. Is there, is there anything like... Like, I remember... I know um, ones that I hated. Yeah. I, I bought... Well, not hated, but... I mean, yeah, I've got... Sia wrote um, Breathe Me, which was used in the finale of Six Feet Under. And yes. uh, I think that was a lot of people's exposure to Sia. And, yeah, I thought that was quite amazing when I first heard it and got me into that album. And So me, me saying that I really love the Rembrandt song, song from Friends. Is <laughs> 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 That's amazing. Rembrandt was a two-hit wonder. People forget. Yeah, people forget just the song. way it is. Yeah. Do you know that song? Yeah, which is a great song. Which is, yeah, it is a much Just better, the way it song. is, baby. Oh, yeah. Which I think is around in the charts around this time. It was quite a few mm. years beforehand. Mm. Um, for me, I really liked pop songs from TV's show themes, and I have, and I own a lot of them. Be it Closer to Free by the Bodines. By the Bodines. From, Party of Five. Uh, Party of Five. Yeah, yeah I bought that um, song on single. The, uh, How Do You Talk to an Angel from The Heights? Ooh. By The Heights. Yeah, on by the TV the show The Heights. Great. <laughs> Like, yes, I have all that sort of series and stuff, but, but yeah, the themes were different. The, the reason I sort of mention it is because last night I just plonked down $2.19 on, on, yeah, uh, plonked down $2.19 on iTunes and bought the song that's the theme for Community. Because, oh, by the 88. <laughs> by the 88. Because there, there's like 15 seconds of this little little snippet of this song and that just, and to me, just uh, I just think, oh, that sounds like a really cool little power pop song, so I bought it. Is there a song behind, is there an actual full song? Yeah. Because... The theme from Cheers, which was released as a single by Gary Portnoy in the yeah. 80s, he actually wrote a special second verse for it because he, there is no second verse. Uh, I think that happened with Community as well. Really? Cause really? And, and it happened with the song from Scrubs, the I know Superman. Like, that wasn't a song. I thought it was. And the guy wrote more song <laughs> to fit it out. <laughs> and an Tim, we didn't, Tim Byron, we didn't get to you. Is there any sort of favourite TV tracks that made you explore an artist? One that did come to mind um, was uh, Songs of Love by the Divine Comedy. From Father Ted. From Father Ted, yeah. Yes. Uh, which is a beautiful, beautiful song that has um, 
you know, I, I think the the song as a um, as a theme must have come before the one with lyrics. But the lyrics are beautiful; they work so well, and it's just a beautiful song uh, that Ben Ben Folds ended up covering. And yeah, it's amazing how Neil Hannon managed to take this theme song that was probably so well known in Britain and yeah. in Australia because it was part of one of more successful TV shows around, and then actually craft a lyric on top of it that everyone liked. Like, I yeah. think that is yeah. really ballsy. And maybe that will wrap it up for us for tonight uh, for podcast number five of 90% Hits. And as usual, before we go, we're going to see what everyone's favourite songs were from the five that we discussed tonight. I've got a feeling that I know what it is for everyone. <laughs> but... Um, Let's just run through them once again. Uh, we had The Vinyls with I Touch Myself, London Beat, I've Been Thinking About You, The Simpsons with Do The Bartman, Dipples D with Sucker DJ, and Julie Cruz with Falling. Tim Byron, why don't you start? For me, it's Sucker DJ. Wow. Okay. Going against tight. Casey Atkins. Uh, the Vinyls, definitely. Tim Coyle? Yeah, uh, it's it's Falling by Julia Cruz. Really? Yeah, I would have I, thought that everyone would have chosen I Touch Myself, which is what I choose for as well, which makes Casey and Danny the winners this week. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Well, Woo-hoo. The, real, the real winner here Rewards. today was music. Well, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Casey, do you want to let people know where they can find us on the internet? Absolutely. So you can find us at um, 90%hits at gmail.com, 90%hits.tumblr.com, and 90%hits on Twitter, as always, percent spelled out in words. And on the Tumblr, we will do uh, some show notes. So we'll have all of the Spotify and audio playlists. We'll have some... um, Maybe bits and pieces, maybe some cut segments, maybe some um, YouTube links and, and bits and pieces like that. Don't forget well. the pictures of Belinda Carlisle. And the pictures of Belinda Carlisle, of course. <laughs> yeah. They'll be every week, not just on the one about <laughs> where we actually discuss Belinda Carlisle. She might become our... Um, Unofficial mascot. mascot. Our mascot, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yes, and, and in doing this, there's been lots of conversations that we've had uh, about other supplemental material that we can put in here, various alternate versions and other songs that we talk about. So find them all on the page. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. They told me that you were really bad. my love. Not everything's singing, you know. The only important thing these days is... Don't forget to make a difference to your art. Last name Simpson, first name Bart. See